Ah, hello my friends, hello my life warriors, wherever you are in the world Welcome to the Day In Day Out podcast Woo! Today on episode 208 I was very lucky to have Shawnee Harley on the podcast Wow, this lady, I got to, I got to say I love her uh, Yeah, she's a mental toughness coach, a high performance corporate coach uh, She has worked with the Canadian basketball team, well Olympic team twice uh, to get into the Olympics She has been a coach for 26 years And yeah, she's pretty damn amazing uh, yeah, what we talked about today, we were talking about people getting out of their comfort zones, uh, trying to find their best way, talking about mental toughness as well. And yeah, basically how like coaching has changed over the course of time and how, yeah, getting the best performances out of like uh people she coaches as well uh not just the physical but more the mental as well got to say it was a fantastic conversation i look forward to bringing her back onto the podcast and yeah having another great conversation so please sit back enjoy and don't forget subscribe to the podcast and yeah have a great day yeah peace <laughs> oh baby girl Hello my friends, hello my life warriors, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Day In Day Out podcast Woo! Today on episode 208, I am very lucky to have Shawnee Harley on the podcast today <sighs> She is a mental toughness coach, a high performance corporate coach But before she led that life, she led a life in the Olympics dark and dim as they might be i'm uh, doing basketball for the last 26 years bringing up uh coach twice in like the canadian olympic team and yeah mm, she's here today how are you today my lady awesome uh, boom ah oh, she went she gave me the boom i'm liking that i'm liking that a lot now you my lady look 26 years as a as a coach basketball and such what would like the sort of changes you must have seen over that sort of stretch of time like yeah what was it like when you first started it all i was like yes i have a calling and i'm going to be a coach what was that like it was awesome i'm using that word again <laughs> Because I was young and I didn't know it, I didn't know anything, but I thought I knew so, so much. Uh, you know, when I first, I first started coaching, I was ready to take on the world. And, you know, it didn't take that long for me to figure out that um, the world was ready for me. <laughs> I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to sneak up on anybody. And the world was the world was ready for me. Uh, coaching is a like so many professions, right? Coaching mm. is very difficult. It's competitive. The goal is to win. It's about eliteness. Whether we agree with eliteness or not, there are pros and cons of it. Uh, it's a it's a tough career, but damn, I loved every single minute of it. The highs were really high. The lows were really low. And you asked about how much did things change over the course of time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It changed, it changed a lot, but I also think so did I, right? Change, you're trying to figure out when things change. Is it things out there that have changed? 
Mm. Or is it things inside of me that have changed? And I would say it was some of both. Yeah, because the reason why I ask, like, how things have changed, because, like, the whole thing of, like, how can I say, uh, coaching, like, coaching, like, 10 years ago is considerably different to what it is today, because there is so much which is picked up, nutrition, mindset, like, basically, team building, like, just so much, like, and, like, basically, new formats, techniques, which come in to any sort of sport, whether that be basketball, like yourself, or whether that be sort of tennis as an individual sport, so much changes in that 10 years because standard of people change as well. But like, yeah, 26 years ago, whew, like, yeah, the world was a very much a different place. Like Jordan was heavily in the scene. Uh, like, yeah, the Bulls were like, yeah, winning, like tearing up everything, except when they went to Celtic for a period of time, who were their sort of like, yeah, <laughs> uh, arch nemesis. But it's a case of you kind of look at the game then, what you had to go through and everything like this, like was the sort of methods, the methodologies, uh, which came into play different to what they were? You know, that's, that would be the biggest changes for sure that I've seen over this time. Uh, we've just, sport, sport has become what I've seen become much more of a science mm. than when I first came in, right? There's the science behind it, whether it's physiologically so how are we getting our athletes quicker, stronger, faster? But you also mentioned two other things. Uh, culture yep. has become a big word in sport. You also mentioned the mental component mindset. That, that's become like those three areas in the science part of it have just taken sport to a whole, a whole nother level. There's an art to sport. And now they're, there's an art and a science and the, the science I just think has taken off and it's changed a lot of things. And if, if coaches aren't keeping up with the science, mm. they're getting, they're getting left behind. Yeah. Because you are like, huh, like, dare I say most humbly, you're like one of the most highly qualified like coaches in Canada at this present time. Is that correct? That is correct. Mm. So with that, you must have been okay when you first started. Went, okay, yes. Like coaching was like, yes, the seaweed is cold on the left-hand side. Okay, everyone like, yeah, do, like run laps. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, the rune stones came out there. So like you must have been one of the people really sort of pushing uh, for the science as well as the art of sport. You know, when I was first starting out, I, I don't know if I was smart enough to think about those things or not. I, I... I do know that I was always trying to think out of the box. I, I was trying to find ways to do things differently. I was always trying to find an edge, something that my competitors were not doing. I was always looking for that. Yeah. But I'm, I, I don't know if I was, sometimes I don't think I was looking in the right places, but I just knew I was, I knew I was looking and that really helped me as a coach, trying to find a better mousetrap. I was always looking for a better mousetrap. I think that was, when I look back on it, I, I think that really helped me in my, in my preparation, in um, how we scouted opponents, 
um, little tricks that we could bring that our opponents weren't ready for. So that mentality helped me for sure. I see. Like, yes, uh, one of these, like just peeking behind the curtain ever so slightly, would you be able to sort of like tell us one of these things you like picked up to give you that edge over your opponents or is it forever held to secrecy? No, there, there was no secrets. I, I was always curious. I've always been curious, not just the what. I've always oh. been curious on the why. Ah. And I feel like sport has always told us to follow this specific path. So in basketball, like do these drills, do it like this. And I remember very early on questioning why. Why am I doing this drill? And I started figuring out when I started asking that question, there were a lot of times I didn't have a very damn good answer. <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea why I'm doing this drill. I saw it at a clinic. I read it in a book. You know, I saw it on YouTube, although back in the day, we didn't even have YouTube. But, you know, I was just doing the robot thing. Somebody says, do it like this. And so you do it. Mm. And when I started questioning why, I was like, I don't think I want to keep doing some of these drills that everyone's doing because I don't see the return on investment in a game. Like drills look really great in practice. I mean, they look fantastic and they work and they're like, woohoo. <laughs> then you get in a game and it's like, well, why is this stuff not transferring? And that's what really helped me in my coaching. I just kept asking why and things that no longer that I was supposed to be doing, if I couldn't see them transfer to a game, then I stopped doing them. Like if, if our players, when we're under pressure, when winning and losing matters, mm. if the stuff I'm doing in practice isn't helping us in that competitive environment, I need to do it differently. And that's what I was always thinking about. How do I do this differently? I remember one of the things that really helped me was at the time, there were some very, very good teams in our league. And I looked at our team on paper and I looked at these teams on paper and I'm like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> this isn't good. And, and so I thought to myself, okay, well, if we don't have the talent we have to find another way. And we were, I know for sure, our team was very hard to prepare for as the opponent because they never knew what was coming. We were very non-traditional in how we played. In, in basketball, we call it, um, we junked it up all the time. We would change, we would change the defenses unexpectedly. We would come out of a timeout and we would, we would do something different that they weren't expecting. So I'm like, okay, if, we, if our players aren't as good as your players, we cannot play traditional basketball for 40 minutes and think that we're going to have any chance of winning. Mm. So I'm like, okay, so we're not going to play traditional basketball. Now, what does that look like? How do we surprise people? You know, it's like going into battle, you know, back in the old, I think about way back in the days when people were at war and they went to battles. And, you know, if, if you're 
if the general figures out that they don't, they're under, they're under prepared, they're under something, underprepared, they don't have the right ammunition or the weapons mm. or enough people. They had to find ways to have like a sneak attack. I'm not sure if that's the right war term, but you can see where I'm going with this. Yeah, no, like this is the thing. I, the way I see you, like how I can, yes, I do see how it's what you mean by this. You basically go against the sort of conventional like methodology at the time, yes. which you know what can be scary at the time because look, if you are doing the conventional thing and you lose it's like oh yes all right like that's the luck of the draw sometimes you win sometimes you lose but if you sort of break that convention and it things don't go your way people like go huh why why are you why are you stepping away from this norm uh like this isn't the way it normally goes you do it this way everything comes into da 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 but that breaking convention can like lead to surprising things. It can lead to like spotting talents you might not see in, in players before. But it's a case of you got to, dare I say, have like faith in that sort of system uh, that it's going to come together. And it's a case of like really sort of pushing yourself with that. Because when you mention sort of armies and battles back in the day, uh, the Prussian army uh, back in the day before Germany was formed and everything like this, they were considered some of the best soldiers in the world. They have like their methodology, their tactics. It was like, yes, one, two, three, victory. One, two, three, victory. But over the course of time, like one decade, two decades, three decades, one, two, anyone can like, basically read their playbook then uh, a small little man uh, mm, uh, from france like slash austria uh came along and basically using tactics of like moving around fast maneuvering troops with speed and accuracy handed their handed them their asses time and time again uh yes if anyone doesn't know that is napoleon uh yes he the very short man who was average size at the time and he would say that to you most probably no doubt <laughs> but yeah like going against the convention like how like how easy was that to give the sell to the people you who were your bosses at the time well i didn't ask them so it was probably pretty easy <laughs> because for me the important people to sell weren't the bosses mm -hmm. The important people to sell were the people that are under my watch, which was the athletes and the athletes freaking loved it because think about how boring practices get. Mm. I mean, you know, at the level that I was at, we would have over 80 practices in a season. That's so freaking boring, <laughs> you know, working on this same stuff and having to listen to me every single day but when we were working on this unconventional stuff like the players had never seen it before they'd never thought about it before they hadn't been coached that way before so it was exciting right it was it was challenging it was like a chess match you know you're we're just you know they're gonna move their queen over here be like, oh yeah, watch this. We're going <laughs> to move all, all these little pawns 
And somehow we're going to figure out how to get the queen messed up. And it was, I, I think that it, it helped get rid of some of the mundane boring, the day in, day out of practicing. And, and when you're doing it, it's not that fun because it's really physically taxing. It's really hard to be an elite athlete in an elite sport. And so practices became, was like this, be like, okay, we're going, okay, here we go. We're going to work on, this is going to be the game plan for the opponent this weekend. And so we would come into practice with that kind of a mentality. I think that, I think motivation goes up because interest, curiosity and excitement goes up. So I wasn't worried about selling it to my bosses. It had to be the athletes to buy in because I can show them everything I want, but when it's game day, they're the one executing it, not me. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, this is the thing. One of the things I always find, how can I say, interesting when, like, when you've been the coach, you're the coach, you're given them all this knowledge, you've like put them on the path. And when it comes to game day, you're kind of like, okay, it's like, I can imagine it's like a bit of a pit, like a parent that's letting their child go off riding the bike without training wheels for the first time. How does that feel being on that sidelines, like watching the game, it, be it going like badly or be it going good? Uh, what was that like for you on a regular basis? It was, I, I loved it. I can remember, so our games were always Fridays and Saturdays in, when I was coaching this. I can remember every morning my alarm would go off and the minute that alarm went off, I remember thinking, oh, it's game day. <laughs> like it was the most exciting feeling because mm. I didn't know what was going to happen, right? Sports unpredictable. And sometimes the game plans didn't, like lots of times the game plans didn't work. Sometimes they did. But I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the challenge and I enjoyed letting the players, it's like, okay, this was the preparation. Here's what we know what we're going to do. Let's get out there and let's friggin' let her rip. Mm. And again, it didn't always work, but then we had to adjust. And I think that's why always, it's just what I love it. I just love the, the, for me, it was the mental challenge, the strategic challenge for the athletes. It's the physical mm. challenge, but I loved the strategy and I freaking loved it when we would have this crazy strategy and we'd come out of a timeout or something and it would totally work. And I would look down at the other end and I would see the coach down at the other end having a fit and getting pissed off at their players. I'm like, come on. And I'm like, yes, that strategy just worked. And I had, you know, I had to, you know, eat crow sometimes too, because the strategy didn't work and it cost us points. And sometimes it cost us a game, but there was, there was a, it was, there was a joy. I didn't know that every morning when I would wake up and be like, oh man, it's game day. I just felt this anticipation of what's going to happen. And there was a joyfulness in coaching 
because of that. And sometimes coaching is not very joyful Mm. because you don't win all the time. In fact, you lose a lot. So for me, this battle, this battle, and for me, it was a strategic cognitive battle. I just like even talking about it now, I can just feel my heart rate is like going right up through the roof. Like I'm ready. I'm like, let's go coach. Put me in. I'm ready. It's game day. <laughs> you know what? If you like, if just a mere tenth of the energy and enthusiasm like <laughs> came across to your players, I think, yes, they'll definitely be put in a winning mood. Uh, definitely to like, yeah, like bust that move, like, push themselves to that next level to like, yeah, try to bring home the win. Uh, if not for yourself, uh, definitely for themselves, you know? Uh, like, yeah. No, I can, like, this is the thing. When you go, yeah, look down the court, like, look at the other coach. And that's like, that's like, yeah. Like, those times where you've like, gone, okay, yeah, I figured this coach out. You're, you're my Rubik's Cube, and I've got all the sides covered. It's like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> like, what do you like? What do you say to the coach? Like, at the end of it, do you like, like, especially, like, do you? Are you? How can I say? Are you kind of like, yes, oh, very good coach, or like, do you give them like, Haha, I got you. <laughs> good question. Um, if I. Uh, to get a truthful answer, I think I'd probably have to ask those coaches. I know that in my mind, I was always a big um, trash talker. <laughs> like I was like, oh, hell yeah. We just kicked your ass right now. Yeah, that thing just worked. Yeah, you didn't see that coming. Yeah, we ambushed you and you didn't know it was happening. I always felt that inside and I was always saying that in my head when we, you know, you shake hands afterwards, I was, I tried to just be very business-like, you know, good game, <laughs> but I don't know how they received me and perceived me. My guess is they probably, <laughs> they probably felt, you know what? I have to be truthful. I'm sure they felt some of my trash talking, even though I wasn't saying it, you know how you can feel the vibe. Okay. I tried to be businesslike. I don't know if I was very good at it. <laughs> Just hold their hand a little bit too long. Look him in the eye with that smile. That's like. <laughs> no, I, 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 really, I really didn't want to do that. Because you know what I know about sport? Yeah. If you're too cocky, okay. like sport is going to cut like it catches up, right? It's going to come back and kick you in the butt. Like somebody's going to come back and get you. And so that's why I try to be very business-like. Cause like, Oh damn it. You know, my, my number's going to be up pretty soon. Somebody's going to come back and be like, okay, Shawnee, we got you. Yeah. So I did. I tried not to give them the look. <laughs> oh, but, like, just by you saying that, you know, you have a look and you've used my <laughs> I have to speak truth, knowing me. Yeah, I probably yeah. did. Yeah, because like this is the thing uh, to like to be to win. I think any so, sort of like league sport championship wise, if it's just the league, you need to have something like anything from a fifty-five to around about sixty percent win in rate, and you can you are technically 
you will win the league more times than not. Um, that's how it works in like the Premier League, it, like for football. If you got around about 55 to 60 percent win ratio, you will be champion at the end of the whole season. Uh, it comes a little bit the curveball with some American sports and Canadian sports is you do your playoffs as well, like you do your playoffs, and that's where the sort of like okay, the crazy curveballs can come into play because yes. Any like anyone can win on that day. <laughs> it's like anyone can win on that day, and like oh, quite often they do. Uh, but yeah. So with this, like the time has passed, and like yeah, over the course of time, the attitude to sort of sports you say has changed. But like the whole thing is like the outside world's attitude to sports also changed. Would you say it? Would you say it was a positive change, a negative change, or a little bit strange? I think we are in one of the most important times that we've ever been in with sport in the sense that, you know, Naomi, the professional tennis player, Naomi Osaka has stepped away. Simone Biles, you know, stepping away Mm. at the Olympics. Many of the NBA players coming out and speaking about mental health. Uh, I think we are in a really, really important time in the sport world. I think it's been a long, long, long time coming. And when I look back on, you know, if I, if you can have, if you, if I could have gone back and had a do over, mm. there were some things that I looked back in my coaching and I'm like, ah, I needed to do that better. I think that if I had to do anything different, like back in the day, I just feel like the way that I was trained in coaching and the culture at the time was, it was very coach focused, coach centered. Mm. Like the coach was the center of everything. And you can think about how that plays out right? You feel like you're really important. You probably have an overly inflated ego, which I definitely did. And what I see happening now that I think is so important is we've, we've said, you know what, we've had the coach at the center of this model and look at all of the unhealthy athletes that it's creating. And so I think we've shifted. I think it's become athlete centered now. And if coaches don't keep up with this new model, they're not going to get to hang around anymore. I think that's really important because at the grassroots level, when it's coach centered, Mm. we are losing a lot of athletes. Just as, as an example, there are studies that show girls drop out of sports at six times the rate of boys. Yeah. And that's not good. We need to keep people in sport. And I think this shift that we're starting to see in the sport culture is going to be really healthy for all of us. And more people are going to stay involved for longer. Mm. So uh, from what you've seen as a coach, like basically if it was continuing down the path without like basically this sort of, how can I say mental awareness, awakening, you could say uh, that like, 
sports for quite a lot of things would be in serious sort of jeopardy uh, because there wouldn't be enough uptake or because people just leaving, would you say? And I think that athletes are starting to find a voice and just saying, we're not going to accept this crap anymore. Mm. And, you know, back in the day, nobody would have ever spoken up. And now we are speaking up. And now we have social media that's going to listen. Right? <laughs> They're going to listen. I, I think that if you think about the, the old sport culture, well, it's not old. It's still here today, but we're shifting. How we, what's acceptable is would not be accepted in any other context that I know of. For example, think about how in sport it's okay to yell at your players. Mm. It's okay to punish them, make them run, right? Make them run till they puke. Uh, all of the things that sport does, we would never be allowed to do that in another context. Could you imagine going to, I always use this example, going to your child's Christmas concert and there's all the little kids up on the stand, you know, and they're singing all their Christmas carols and somebody from the back starts saying, I hate that song. Fire the choir director. How come my kid doesn't get to sing more often? Like we do all of these behaviors are allowed in sport and it would not be allowed in many of our other contexts. And I think that behavior that has been allowed, and I was, I did that, mm. is not healthy. Now, this is the thing with regards to sports, and I and I say this as a person who has yelled at a TV screen uh, on many an occasion. <laughs> that was like, yeah. Um, like, I think it comes down to, like, yeah, there's a little bit more of a primal sort of, like, circuitry where it kicks in with regards to it all. And, like, yeah, like, basically, when it's like, yeah, it's because you can't have that sort of combat, it's that team you support, uh, that, that, that player who might be your child who's out there is, like, taking on a form of combat for you. And they sort of get basically take that sort of, even though it's not life and death, it's kind of, it's very much weighted in that sort of mindset for many a person who is an avid fan. It's like, if my team loses against like this team, like for example, I'm a Liverpool fan. And like recently we beat Manchester United 5-0. I'm not saying that just to rub it in, but we recently beat Manchester United 5-0. But, in the whole context of it all, if you spoke to any like any group of true like supporting Liverpool fans or Man United fans, ooh, <laughs> it, it is so weighted in that realm. And look, I do understand with regards to some of the pressures which sports people face today, because like if we went back when you first started, when the likes of Jordan was around, like Larry Bird, like you go, right. There wasn't as much sort of pressure on everything else out there. It was like, yeah, Larry Bird would play for the Celtics and he'll go home, maybe do a commercial here and there. But generally 95% of the whole league, that was it. They played a little bit of basketball, went home, none, done. Today, it's a case of if you play your sport, 
then you are got your sponsors you got to be held to then you got to be held to like doing some social responsibility then you're held to like this when like you're on social media as you just mentioned everyone will listen but everyone at some point is watching and judging uh you mentioned simone Biles, um the gymnast right now yes. that poor girl i don't like i don't understand what people's problems were with her in the last olympics she won gold several times and like she went through a horrific ordeal that no one should go through uh while serving and like basically before she won the like the medals managed to keep it together win the medals and then like yes in an environment where she couldn't get her medication to help sort of balance her out i me personally i wouldn't want to tumble if i wasn't like you know what i mean like purely focused it was a case of yeah the world turned against her which you're like and you do know what she's gone through you you do know what the story is and you know where that piece of shit got like doctor is right now is i going you know what i mean where a parent almost launched himself over a desk to like basically get to him i like i don't understand that but there is a lot more pressure today that's where i'm going from it and yeah Sorry, I've gone on. I've gone off on the rant. My apologies. <laughs> but I think your point. I think that's why we're seeing this shift mm. because I think athletes are starting to say enough is enough. The professional level athletes, the microscope that they're under, the burdens that they carry are incredible because they carry the hopes and dreams of crazy fans like you. Uh. Well, thank you. Like me, <laughs> yeah. like the Manchester, like the Manchester fans, the Liverpool, like they carry the hopes and dreams of, mm. an, of, a, of a group, a country. But I will also say, take it down to the grass, more of the grassroots, the amateur level. Those are the athletes that I work with. And I am working with 12 year olds as one example, where the pressure that they are feeling is absolutely crushing them. Guess where it's coming from? The number one source of stress in the amateur athletes that I work with, parents and coaches. The number one source of stress is their coach and or their parent. So I'm seeing these, these mental health issues. Again, I'm always cautious with that word because I don't think we have it pinned down very well. Like what's, we use that word a lot in sport. Mm. The way that I think of mental health issues are something that has been diagnosed. Yeah. So whatever, what's this other, I don't know what this other thing that we're talking about would be called, but I know what it looks like in these athletes, the pressure, the fear of making mistakes, the fear of letting people down, the scrutiny results in these athletes hiding like they just they just want to hide they're like i this it's too much for me me to bear and then there's no tools to help them but they're not the ones that caused it it's their parents and the coaches that are the source of the stress and the pressure Mm. go ahead no, I was going to say, like, this is the thing. Like, I know the, the old saying of, haha, 
pressure like like creates diamonds comes to mind when you're saying that but like this like one of the things i would say is with regards to coaching look because the pre- like if you're playing a sport or anything like this and you want to win there is going to be an element of that pressure there it's it's unavoidable but like the whole thing is like would you say now with like being a like elite level coach that there are now like methodologies coming through to help like coach like these players through that sort of mental pressure or is it just a case of you're out there and you're by yourself well, this is where I've seen the needle shift at the highest levels. Mm. So I can only speak for what my context is. So at the highest levels of basketball in our country, those teams have a full-time mental performance consultant, full-time. But take that down to amateur athletes. Most, most amateur organizations have volunteer coaches, at least in our country, yeah. It's a volunteer, it's a volunteer system. There's some coach training, but what I'm seeing is we are not yet able to equip our coaches with how to manage this part of sport. So port, sport has four pillars, technical, tactical, mm-hmm. physical, and that's where coaches usually have only, they only have knowledge in those two areas. Yeah. But there's also the mental pillar and there's the social emotional pillar. All of the issues, many of the issues that are happening in sport right now are not the technical, tactical, and not the physical. They're the mental and the social emotional. Mm. We don't have very good coach training in place yet for those two pillars, except at the highest levels where they have a budget to hire a full-time mental performance coach. Mm. Because like this is a thing. Like with regards to, as you said, like sports science, like sports is arts and science come together. Now, like the whole thing about it is there is that element of, yes, the mental. Uh, Like if you've got someone who's mentally uh, strong as well as physically strong, you get like, you get biblical results. You get like, you get basically, I don't know, you get, just the people you go you are a freak of nature and you've won jordan yeah jordan phelps um like you know what i mean uh like williams <laughs> like you know what i mean yes these people but if you're not actually like because if you like if i go to the gym i lift weights and i will yeah I've, it's my first day in the gym i'm gonna lift 100 pounds it's like that ain't gonna be really successful but if you're kind of like going out there mentally lifting a hundred pounds, yeah, that's not going to really be terribly successful. So like, yeah, sort of helping build that strength of mind and will to basically when those real pressure times come along, I would have thought that would be surely a good thing to put some focus on rather than not. I could be wrong. Uh, Yeah. I agree with you. I, I think let's just use the phrase mental toughness. Mm. You know, there's a different a whole bunch of different spins on that, but I think we know what we're speaking about. I believe that it's a skill. So if I take if I if I take your sport, we call it soccer. I think you call it football. Yes, the proper way. Yeah, thank you. Okay. 
you think about those those strikers they they either foot you you can't even tell which is their dominant foot because they're so good at both Mm. well where did they learn that they learned that way back when they were young and up and coming footballers and then eventually down the road they became experts and then they beat manchester five nil is what i think you heard i heard you say yes okay Thank you. I just wanted to repeat that again for you. No worries. I I, I, I respect that. Thank you. So let's take let's take mental toughness. Mm. It's not like we take a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old and we're like, okay, we're gonna teach you all of these football skills and then just be mentally tough. Just get out there and be confident, damn it. That's what we do. There, I gave him there. I helped him with his mental toughness or her mental toughness. You, if, if we believe that it's a skill, I think we have to educate coaches how to teach it in the same way they would a young footballer. Mm. With my sport, a young basketballer, we have to teach them a jump shot. We have to dribble with your right hand, dribble with your left hand. All of these things, that's what, that's what our coach education is. And I think it should, that de- is definitely important. I think what we're going to see coming is here's how we teach mental toughness, resilience, how to handle pressure, put all of all of those words into that bucket. And I think we're going to be we're going to come up with a formula in the same way that we have a formula to teach them football skills. We're going to have a formula to teach them mind skills. Yeah, no, because the reason why I say this, like I'm like I'm a person what believes in, yeah, you get your growth in life through going through places of discomfort. And like with regards to going through those places of discomfort, like, okay, if you put someone like, yes, in the most discomfort place immediately without any sort of like build up to it, they will break. It it will happen. It's not like not unless if they happen to be like they've got some like natural sort of talent to deal with that immediately. No, but more times than not, they will break. And building that up, building that up over a course of time, because I think sometimes the world tries to hide us away, like from unpleasantness and like things which will put us in discomfort. So when you not don't have these things going on on a regular basis, it leaves you ill-prepared. And I think sometimes you see this a, like a lot more because it's so public in the realm of sports, but it's something which echoes truly throughout life and society, which I don't think people, they're trying to hide away from it. But the truth of the matter is, yeah, like discomfort and not being in the best place sometimes makes you stronger, makes you like more resilient, makes you a better person uh, to deal with life's, like what life will throw at you, you know? Well, you're speaking my language. I mean, it's one of the things that I love about sport because if you ever want to get stretched and uncomfortable, play a sport. Like yeah. it, it's hard. It's very hard to be, to be great at it. And so it does teach us about discomfort. It does teach us what to do with failure, mm. which I think, again, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think we spend much of our life trying to avoid failure. In fact, I call it an F word. <laughs> you know, we're not supposed to talk about it. 
Yeah. If you don't talk about it, like it's a case of, look, the people who are the most successful in this world today. You like just pick a name, like a like pick a richest person, pick a like sports person, pick a celebrity. <clears throat> they have failed more times than they've had roast dinners. It's just the successes which come along are, have been like quite tremendous and it erases those failures. If you take the sort of 80-20 principle, like, okay, 80% of all the things you do will not bring you the results you expect in the world. 20% of that will be the things what give you everything. The 80% is just goes here and there. <clears throat> Sorry. But people just want to ignore that. Drives me a little bit bonkers at times. Uh, you can imagine, you know? Well, I'll take it even a step further. I was just posting, I just posted this on my Facebook page yesterday. And boy, oh boy, have ever I gotten some reaction to it. Uh-huh. I asked, so I said, the title of my post was, do push-ups improve an athlete's performance? And where I went with it was I came from the premise of not when used as punishment. And I think life and sport tends to punish us in that 80%. Mm. So I'm just, well, let's just use sport. And I put this in my post. Uh, I was on my way to play pickleball. And right in the middle of pickleball game, I tried this, this hard, this difficult shot a drop shot from the baseline I missed by a mile and my teammate who we're in doubles my teammate said keep trying that that's a great shot it's going to pay off down the road and I was like wow so I kept trying and I made some and I Mm -hmm. missed some what if my teammate had said when I missed that shot every time you miss that shot it's going to cost you 20 push-ups Would I have kept trying that shot? Hell no. I don't want to do (laughs) push-ups. But this is, I'm going to use my context, which I know best, which is sport. Think about an amateur sport is that what I know best. Think about what we do in sport. When we're trying to help people get uncomfortable, try something new, take a risk, get out of your comfort zone. And then it doesn't work out. We do not cheer for them when it doesn't work out. We correct them. We criticize them. We ostracize them. We make fun. We make them run lines. Sport doesn't reward that 80% that you're talking about. Mm. I I don't think it does. And so I'm always asking, well, how in the heck are we going to get any better? How are we going to take risks when every time we make a mistake, coach puts me on the bench and then my teammates yell at me and then somebody from the stands yells at me and then I get blasted on social media. What I teach in my mental toughness, trying to give people this toolkit is I'm like, if you're not making mistakes, don't, I can't work with you. Don't, I'm not, go find someone else. We're going to talk about making mistakes because it's the only way that we grow. And then we have to learn how to gain this resilience. When I make a mistake and my coach sits my butt on the bench because my coach doesn't know any better. 
How do I handle that? How do I make it so that I'll go back out and try that thing again? So mm. it comes back to what I said, do push-ups improve an athlete's performance? Not when used as punishment. When we're anything in our life where we think we're going to get punished, do we move toward it or away from it? We move away from it. And yet, to get better, we have to keep looking bad. We have to keep making mistakes. That's why I find it such, it's so interesting. We're trying to help people grow, but the only damn thing that we reward is the outcome. We don't reward the process. No, but this is the thing. When you go, we don't reward the process. It's one of the things, okay, if you look at any strand of society, no one actually respects the process. They only respect the result. Because look, you look at how many people are like, oh, this person, they've made, like, they're an overnight star. It's like, okay, that person may have been working on their craft, their art for the last 10 15, 20 years, but no one cares about that. Uh, it's only a very select few. The process, the like the finding the art, working on the craft, all of the sort of small nuances which basically make that person who they are at that sort of pinnacle moment of where it's meant to be quote unquote perfection is all lost because it's just that moment and people don't actually pay attention to anything else it's like yes it's that moment and all but the reason why you look at an app like say instagram why it's so popular because all it's doing is capturing that one perfect moment it doesn't care about the rest of the craft it doesn't care about the process it's like that moment you know you know it's the thing that just drives me crazy in general I, I just hope our model continues to change. It's moving slowly. But I mean, Instagram or social media just in general is I just think it's so fluffy yeah. and it's so fake. Like who posts? Everyone posts their highlights. Does yeah. anyone post yeah. their lowlights? I think they might. If they do, it's one of those things where you don't really see it. and. Like the whole thing is if someone was like, yeah, I went to the gym, uh, like I had a really crappy workout uh, and they listed the reasons why, it most probably wouldn't come across. Not on the maybe a medium like Instagram. If it was like a YouTube video, maybe, because it's like you're got to like sit down, tell your story and yeah, people would listen to it. I don't know. But most of the times, yeah, it's everyone's highlight reels all the time. And then and when I, the uh, clients that I work with, I just remind them to be cautious. Yeah. What they're believing, what they're watching, who they're listening to. And I tell them the most important person that you need to listen to is yourself. Because social media is going to sell you something that's probably going to be a lie anyways. Mm. So you better re get real clear on the story you have about yourself before you listen to any of the stories about you that are out there. Absolutely. And I would say it like this, like a lot of people need to sort of really sort of, okay, sit down and have these like sort of moments of honesty, these moments of clarity, because like, this is the thing. 
people like go, I want to change. It's like, okay, you want to change. Like I was talking to like a security guard in my local co-op supermarket here. He goes, yeah, I want to quit smoking. I went, okay, great. You want to quit smoking? I go, when are you going to do that? I goes, yeah, in a couple of years. I just looked at him and went, shut up. Because the reason why I was like a couple of years, what is that? When is your start date? Ah, when are you going to like, I'm going to, quit on this day or I'm going to start reducing my cigarette intake down, down, down by this date, maybe a year, year and a half, I will have stopped or I have greatly reduced the number of cigarettes. So there is a net benefit or gain. He wasn't saying that. It was like, oh yeah, in a couple of years time. <laughs> it's like, I'm, yeah, just like, I'm, I was like, thank you very much for saying that, but you're wasting my time, but you're wasting your time, which is like equally as bad, even more so. But that's what a lot of people do. They're not actually sitting down and going, look, to make these choices, to make these changes in life, there is a lot of work you've got to do. It's not as easy as A, B, C. You've got to go through the whole alphabet and then maybe go through the alphabet again uh, to just like make it through one stage in your life and if you can't like you've got to be able to commit put that time and energy into that to make those changes and sometimes it's hard to find those people like you find the people like saying they want to but truly find those people who can, that can commit that time energy and well belief in themselves to make that change must be difficult for yourself as a coach because you must see it a lot a hell of a lot of times you know oh i do and i even see it in myself and you know there's a quote i can't remember where i read it but it says we don't people don't fear change they fear being changed interesting okay yeah so here's where i'm going with that the guy who wants to quit smoking mm. That's not what he's afraid of. It's all of the process underneath that is the scary part. And I'll, I'll use a sport example because I'm much better at that than I am a, a smoking example. Oh, no, please. I, please I, do. I use the, um, you, you talked about, uh, you, again, we talk, we're talking about process. Yeah. And yeah. because lots of people in sport, they'll tell me what they want. I want to get a scholarship. I want to make the all-star team. I want to quit smoking. I want to get a new job. And I look at them and I go, whoop, whoop. Wanting it is not special. Mm. Wanting it's not special. Do you know how many people want to make an all-star team? Do you know how many people want to quit smoking? Do you know how many people want a new job? And how come most of the people never get what they want? Why is that? And so I tell people, my clients that come in, you can tell me what you want. And then my job is to help you get clarity on this quote, be, do, have. Be willing to do what it takes to have what you want. So tell me, this is what you want? Then get clarity on what you're gonna have to do to get it. I'll give you a very specific example. Please. Back in the day when I was coaching, at the end of a season, one of our best players came into my office at the end of the season, said, Coach, next year, I want to be in 
an all Canadian. So that would, so our language would be, I want to be on the all-star team for Canada in women's basketball next year. I'm like, boom, let's do this. So I get on my whiteboard and and she's my office and I start writing stuff down. I'll be like, okay, let's get a plan. So it's going to be about, going to about half about 250 to 500 shots a day. You're going to let's, we're going to get you a strength training program and it's going to be five days a week. And then we're going to do some breakdown of it. So I started writing these things and man, every time I write some, I'm getting more excited and I can feel her right beside me getting oh. less excited. So I finish and she looks at the board and she looks at me and she goes, coach, let me get back to you on that. So the next day she comes in and she goes, coach, I don't want to be on the all-star team. But the good thing about that was she said, I want to be an all-star. And I went, whoop, whoop. That's not special. Wanting it's not special. Here's what we need to do. There's no free rides. Here's the price tag. And she looked at the price tag and went, oh, that was more expensive than I thought it was going to be. I don't want it anymore. Yeah, no. And like, this is the thing. I think that's a lot of it because a lot of people don't actually think, well, they don't, they don't actually look at it. As you say, looking at the price tag, like when they do look at the price tag, they're like, Oh, I've got to like, Oh, you mean if I do this, that means I've got to give up this and then I've got to give up that. And I've got to give up this. And it many of the times when it's like, Oh, I've got to give up this. I've got to give up that. It all comes from that sort of realm of comfort. And it's like, yeah, look, trust me, look, I'm a person, if I I have sat down and watched all seasons of Netflix in a go, I won't lie. It's like, that is part of me. But I know if I want to get certain things done, like if, if I want to go to the gym, I can't like just spend the whole day just watching Netflix. I've got to get up, go to the gym, do my workout, come back, shower, change, then maybe watch a couple of episodes or like, yeah, if I'm not dragged out by my lady, like, yeah. But I know there is a price to pay, but many people don't, they, they see the price and they're unwilling to pay that price because look, greatness today, I think comes at its cheapest price than it ever has come in the history of the human race it's like you just need to do 20 percent more than like the most like i would say the average person in any sort of activity and you'll be great i would say less than 20 percent you will say less than 20 percent oh you know uh, why it's easy to pass lazy people yeah um fair point it's easy to pass lazy people I, you know what I teach the clients that I work with? I'm like, you, all you need is one extra degree because at 99 degrees, water is very hot. Yeah. At 100 degrees, it boils. With boiling water comes steam. Steam can power a locomotive. One extra degree makes all the difference. I think that we have become a very much a society of comfort and ease. That's why I don't think you have to be 20%. I tell my clients one degree, one degree, 
one degree this month, one degree next month, one degree next month. Boom. Now we're at three degrees. Do you know how many people you're going to pass? So like, this is the thing you saying that like in today's society to like, to be great is one thing, like to be extraordinary compared to your peers what would you say that takes like okay what like to be extraordinary in the past you had to be like extraordinary would you say extraordinary today is easier or like similar i know that's a very sort of subjective thing to say but you know what i mean i don't have the perfect answer i'll just give you my opinion which means it's true for me Mm -hmm. i think that the reason why it could be easier to be extraordinary today than it was before is because I think there are fewer people willing to put in the work to be extraordinary. So the pool of people that you're competing against for extraordinariness is, is smaller. Yeah. So I think that, so when clients come in and hire me, this is, the, and it's always their parents that sign them up, right? Because it's the parents that are paying and I coach the parent and the athlete. The parent starts with this. They're like, okay, what do you want? What are you, what are you hiring me for? Well, my kid's really struggling. And, and they're like, you know what? I just, I want them to be happy. I'm like, oh, don't hire me for that. Oh no, don't, do not. Do not hire me for that. Happiness is fleeting. Yes. So don't hire me for that. And then we keep talking, uh, talking along and I'm talking now I'm on a zoom call. It's like a, an onboarding call to get them ready for the program called fear to fierce. Mm -hmm. And then I ask the athlete, you know, what do they want to work on? What are their goals? All that. And then they'll always ask me and the parent wants to know this, Shawnee, what's the number one most important mental toughness thing that you're going to teach me? to help me move shift from good to great. So that's what I talk. Do you want to be good or do you want to be great? They're like, Oh yeah. What's the one thing. And they're so excited that I'm going to tell them. And then I tell them this, I'm going to share it with you, but I'm going to tell you right now, you are not going to like it. I'm going to, the differentiator that I've seen, this is just my experiences. The number one differentiator between good and great. Okay. I'm ready is self-discipline. So when I look at, so here's the athletes, they come in and I say, guess what it is? It's the practice of self-discipline. And they go, like, you can tell they're so disappointed. They're like, what? That's all she's got? She's yep. some Olympic whoopie do, And that's all she's got is the practice of self-discipline? Uh. Yeah, like this is the thing. Look, uh, if you spoke to if you spoke to twenty year old me, like I'd be like, I'll most probably respond in the same way. But like this, like uh, over the course of years and stuff like this, like yeah, a good tw- like twenty seven years. Who, <laughs> I like I can like I understand the realm of self discipline. I understand the power of it. Like uh, the most powerful thing in this universe, and people often forget about this is consistency people are like oh what do you mean consistency look 
you do bad things consistently, bad things will always come to you. Like you might get the random odd bit of luck where something good comes out of your bad things, but you will go down a bad path and it will lead you somewhere where you will not be happy at the end of the day. Now, flip side, if you do something consistently good down the realm of things, yeah, once again, randomly, yeah, because life and everything like this, something bad might happen to you and will do because that's life. But at the end of the day, you've done consistently good things, you will end up eventually in a good place. Consistency builds cities. Consistency builds nations. Consistency builds mighty empires. Lackadaisicalness gets you off the couch now and then. Lackadaisicalness keeps you pretty much your life the same as it was the year before and the year before that and the year before that. Because you're being consistently lackadaisical and you're not doing like... And that's the way it's going to be. And people don't like that because it's like the emphasis is on them. It's not no one else to blame, no one else to look at. It's just them. And they struggle with that a lot, I find. And look, I've, I won't lie, I've struggled with that myself when it's like when I've had that epiphanal moment when, oh, <laughs> like in this mathematical equation where like things are not going my way, there's one constant in this and it is me. <laughs> you can change the players, but it is me. Get with that program and work it out, you know? Well, if I, if I could build on that, yeah. the word consistency, I, I, love, I really like that word. And here's my build. Mm. I think that high performers... So it can be sport, life, work, relationships, just say high performers. One thing that I think they're very good at is they don't let their feelings drive their behavior. Mm. And this comes back to the word self-discipline. As an example, when we're sitting there and we're watching a really good Netflix movie and we know we haven't done our workout And then we're like, you know, I don't really feel like doing my workout. Mm. And then we don't. The practice of self-discipline says, I don't feel like doing my workout and I'm going to do it anyway. Because we don't let how we feel drive our behavior. Like, think about how that would work if every time you had something in your life, yeah, I don't feel like doing that. And then people around say, great, no problem. You know, don't, don't worry about it. Like, what if, you know, our kids, what if our kids woke up and say, you know, I don't feel like going to school today. Oh, you know what? No problem. Don't go. You know, what about you're sitting, you have your little five-year-old at the table. I don't, I don't feel like eating my vegetables. You know what? No problem. Here, let's have some ice cream instead. I think high performers are really good at eating their vegetables even though they don't like them. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, 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 yeah. Oh, surely. Yeah, I like that a lot. Like, yeah, no, there is it's true. <laughs> like, I can't, like, I can't go, no, that's not true. It's like, no, that makes no sense. Because to me, that it stands true. To me, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, like, with regards to when I, like, go, yes, I've, been that person 
that because look anyone who goes no i've always had this from day like from day dot i'll i'll be very skeptical of that and like oh yeah you, you know what I, maybe you have but more times not i'll be like you're like you're lying to yourself and you're lying to me so like what whatever journey you went on to get to that place i'm definitely interested in that because that's part of my makeup I, like because i look at the journey and i learn from that and hopefully become a better human being uh, at the end of the day um it's taken a long time but i've still got a lot to learn like even at my age, even at my old age, no, <laughs> like, but I've still got a lot to learn. And like, yeah, I'm still looking to grow. Uh, yeah, part of the reason why I started all of this, you know? If I look at the teenagers that I'm working with, and I talk about this self-discipline and you can't let your feelings drive your behavior and that, all that kind of thing, I get them to uh, pay attention for two days. Yeah. And I said, give me an idea over the course of two days, how much time you spend on your phone. Like, just give me, a, give me an idea. Like, give me a number. How much time, how much time do you spend on your phone? And I said, what if I told you that your biggest competitor, tell me who your biggest competitor is. Like, who's that, that guy or girl trying to take your spot? Mm. Tell me who your biggest competitor is. And if I told you every time that you were on your phone, they're in the gym. Who do you think at the end of, day, end of the day is going to get what they want? The person on their phone or the person doing the thing that's less comfortable? Mm. And when I show it to them like that, like I've got some athletes that I'm working with, like they have, I've got a 16-year-old water polo player that in 2024 wants to represent Canada at the Olympics. I've got a semi-pro baseball player that I'm working with. I've got freestyle skiers that want to are represent, looking to represent Canada at the Olympics. Mm. And I, I just watch. I'm like, what are the best people in the world doing? What are they not doing? What are the competitors around you doing? And I can tell you for sure that teenagers, the biggest thing that hinders their performance is the time that they spend on their phone. <laughs> you know, put the phone down and you'll do better. Well, because the phone is the ice cream. Yeah. The phone is the ice cream. They need to eat more vegetables and they find it really damn hard to eat their vegetables. That phone is like ice cream tastes so darn good. <laughs> so yeah. then I pro just keep proposing to them. What if every time you picked your phone up, if you got this vision of your in your mind that my competitor right now, I'm going to pick up my phone and my competitors in the gym getting up more jump shots. I said, what if you just bring that image to your mind? Because there has to be something to pull us away because we don't like to eat vegetables. So how do we help ourselves get in this practice of self-discipline, do the things we don't want to do, but we know we should do. Mm. how because i think remember i said lazy it's easy to pass lazy people it's yeah. easy to pass people that spend all day on their phone <laughs> you know what i like you shawnee i do <laughs> i got to say it yeah ah. well you know what i have to take my own advice more often <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> <laughs> the city 
sitting here thinking to myself, jeepers, I've got to, I'm spending a little bit too much time on my Facebook uh, page these days. I'm like, geez, I need to have more self-discipline there. Hey, but well, if it's, uh, if it's to promote your business to like get it out there, yeah, you're doing the right thing. But like, this is the thing you are like with regards to promoting your business you are quite a veteran of a number of different podcasts uh, doing a lot of live streams I've seen in my research. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm practicing all of this because, you know, I'm, I'm old. I didn't even really know what all of these things, we didn't have any of this when I was younger. And I, I wanted to learn about podcasts. And someone said, why don't you start your own podcast? And I'm like, oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> and, then, and then somebody said, well, then if you don't want to start your own, why don't you go explore being a guest? And I'm like, oh, now that sounds fun. And so I did. I started exploring and I had no idea there's a bazillion podcasts out there. I didn't know that. There's one or two, one or two. <laughs> but yeah, how many podcasts, I've got to ask, how many podcasts have you been on now? Do you know? I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's that many. I've only been practicing this for, I think, maybe about the last four months. So I maybe, I'm going to say maybe 20, 15 or 20. I don't know. I don't keep track, but I don't even know if that's very many. I don't, I don't know. Well, like put this way, you're getting yourself out there. And look, I've got to, I'm going to have to give you props for having your background with regards to having it as thick stands, because a lot of people use the sort of background, like blur thing. It doesn't look good when they use that. It's just like, yes, you've got it there. It looks clean. It looks perfectly fine. Yeah. So I have to ask, with regards to what you're doing right now, where do you see the direction of like, yeah, your program going? I'm saying program, yeah. What a great question. I feel like I'm at the beginning of this, this like exploration to the Antarctic. Uh, I've never been to the Antarctic, but holy cows, is it ever fun starting on the path I'm, I'm learning so much. I'm learning so much from my clients. And what I, what I see happening is I'm helping them, I'm helping them manage the storms because storms are coming whether we want them to or not. We're, they're not avoidable. And I, I think of it, so I say like this, okay, so the storm is coming in your sport, in your life, at work, in your relationship. The storm is coming. So use the analogy, you're out in the middle of the ocean, a storm comes, your boat flips over, huge waves, you don't know how to swim. Do you think there would be any value in somebody jumping in the, in the middle of the storm and giving you swimming lessons? I'm like, hell no! It's like too freaking late. You can't teach me to swim in the middle of the damn storm. I needed to have swimming lessons to prepare for the storm. And this is what I help clients do. I help them build a toolkit with all of these tools, not just one, all these tools, so that when the storm comes, hmm. 
They can save themselves. Where do I think this is going? Yeah. I'll probably know when I get there. I don't know for sure right now. And I'm learning to be okay with not knowing because I really like predictability. I really like perfectionism and I love having control. <laughs> oh, what a surprise. Mm. And, well, like elite coach, one in control. Mm. Yes, what Go a surprise. <laughs> Go figure. It's like, um, mm. <laughs> and I'm practicing staying in the process. Right. And I really believe that if I keep perfecting my process, the outcome is going to take care of itself. I know, I know what I'm teaching. I didn't have when I was an athlete. And in the day when I was a professional coach, I didn't have these skills to give to athletes. My grandpa had a saying, so soon old, so late smart. And I feel like I got smart late. And I'm okay with that because I probably wasn't ready earlier. And I want to keep getting smarter. And more importantly, I want to keep getting wiser. Mm. so that I can give people these tool, this toolkit so that they can change the path of their life forever. I believe that if I keep doing that and I serve and I give and I play full out all in with every one of the clients that I work with, I don't need to worry about where it's going because I will figure it out when it arrives. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> no, absolutely brilliant. Love that. Now, I have to reveal, Mike, because we've had such a charming conversation. Uh, yes, that I'm a being of supreme cosmic power. And I can grant you one wish, Shawnee. I can grant you one wish. But before you say anything, because you know, I, I can see in your eyes you mischief and like yeah conniving going on there you can't wish for infinite wishes you can't wish for like three extra wishes you can't write down everything on a piece of paper and go i wish everything comes true on this piece of paper you can't have world peace you can't have you can't wish coronavirus gone because that just took too much of a cosmic price i had to get dolly parton and beyonce in on this and, and i'm not going back there again it, it, it's painful, <laughs> painful. You have no idea of the debts I carry. Now, what would your one wish be? Well, you told me I'm not allowed to wish for, uh, wish I could save the whales. Uh, no, no. I, I'm very clear on what my one wish would be. I wish for you to help me spread the word so that that me alone as a solopreneur, that I had to build, I had to bring more people in because there's so many people that need this toolkit. My wish for you is to help me spread the word so that I can serve more people. We don't need to stay in our suffering. We don't need to stay in our struggles. There's a solution out there. My, I'm getting better 
at my solution. And I just, there's times when I wake up in the day and I'm just like, I, how do I, how do I serve? How do I serve the world? And I'm like, yeah, right. I can't serve the world. Okay. How do I serve this, my small little world in front of me? But what if I could keep expanding that? And then there was a whole bunch of me just serving tens of thousands of people to help them relieve their struggling and their suffering. That is my wish. Okay. I will see what I can do. But yes, don't be surprised if a couple of people come into your life soon to be that little team you need. But that's another story. Mm. Yes, brilliant. Ah, Johnny, I have to say, ah, that has been a joy having you on today. A pleasure, an immense pleasure. Can you tell the lovely people out there how they can find you out on these interwebs? Yes. Shawneeharley.com yes. is my website. I'm sure you probably put some of these things in the show notes so I, I don't have to spell it out for them. Shawneeharley.com is my website. I'm practicing being controversial and disruptive on my Facebook page because I'm so sick and tired of sport and social media saying all the fluffy things. So I do the opposite on my Facebook page, which is Shawnee Harley. And my handle on Twitter and Instagram is also Shawnee Harley. Outstanding. Shawnee, pleasure having you on today. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, Mwah! superstar. <laughs> and I'd like to say thank you to you, my friends, from my life warriors for sticking with us uh, up until the end. Ah, please stay safe, stay well, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic. Be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. Have a great day, guys. Yes. Peace. Uh, Bye, everybody. Oh, and there you go. Bye-bye, everybody. And we 